Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, it's the co-host, it's Padawan J. We'll get to this in a minute, but it's a very good thing we weren't recording on Saturday night during the NBA All-Star festivities, because if we had, I would have been hot and probably gotten us kicked off of several uh, providers, given how furious I was about the dunk contest. Yo, we're going to deep dive into that, but we have to explain where other host is and that is one your coach my coach the coach coach duffy Mm -hmm. and coach duffy allegedly went out to chicago this weekend Mm -hmm. rumor has it he was trying to find james dolan's phone number to talk to him about putting in his resume for becoming next president really kind of help guide the team yeah he's very knowledgeable of course he is the coach yes i mean we've heard some rumors he was out partying with common and chance the rapper Quavo might have been there too yeah we heard coach was making rounds so hopefully we get him to chime in and give us a heads up of the weekend i think i heard rumor from Woj uh say that he challenged quentin richardson for a one-on-one contest there was something about it too i mean coach was tearing it up through chicago this weekend so hopefully we maybe get a blog or a tweet from him at coach duffy 11 to kind of find out his whereabouts Mm -hmm. but fear not we all had a great weekend i know friday night I definitely had one going out to see Second Suitor and Tom Jolu down at uh, Ripix Lanes yeah. with Jimmy and Tom from Floodlands. It was an awesome time partying with those guys. And a little breaking news, Tom Jolu is going to be coming on the ODPH later this year. Cool. As soon as he comes back from tour, we're going to hammer out the dates. Sure. Uh, awesome time. You saw, if you're watching Instagram stories this weekend, I was posting a lot of video from the show, a lot of feedback. Shout out to Book of Lies. They were commenting. It was a great time out, and then going into Sunday, as we're going to be talking about a little later, was NXT TakeOver, so we had our watch party. Jimmy came over for that as well. And Sunday was also a big day, too, because it was our sponsor Sunday on One Movie Punch. Shout out to Joseph. Uh, We had submitted our review to him to say, could you review The Dark Knight? Great movie. Great movie. Excellent. I know you're going, wait, why are you talking movies? It's a sports show. Follow me for a second. On Wednesday's edition of the ODPH, we're kind of having a little piggyback from that episode because that episode is great. Joe really broke it down so well. It is one of my favorite one movie punch episodes, not because it's our sponsor show. It is just that good. And we have a little, do I say a sequel to it? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like a fan sequel, you know, fan fiction and fans writing sequels to franchises that have ended or haven't gone on in quite some time is nothing new. I mean, you, you, as long as the internet's been around, there have been sequels to Star Trek movies, Star Wars movies, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, you name it, there is a fan-written sequel to it. Yes, yeah, so we're going to kind of piggyback off Joe's review from this past Sunday. So if you haven't downloaded that episode, it's the Sponsor Sunday edition of One Movie Punch. It's the Dark Knight, Christopher Nolan's Batman story Epic. I mean, I could just yeah. rave about it. And, probably... and that's and that's the thing. You might be sitting here listening to yourself. You know, I don't really want to listen to it. I've seen Dark Knight five hundred times. I I know everything about it. Take it from me, somebody who's seen Star Wars. You know, to quote Tracy Morgan, I see Star Wars five hundred times. You know, uh, there's a great podcast called The Soundtrack Show with uh, David W. Collins. Who you know, look up his resume online. He's a very accomplished gentleman in the music and sound industry in terms of movies and video games. Uh, he recently, uh, with la- the end of last year, broke down Return of the Jedi and the soundtrack and everything with that. 
I've seen Return of the Jedi, I can't tell you how many times. Thought I knew a lot of stuff. He was teaching me stuff I didn't know. So definitely, if you get a chance and you find a podcast talk about your favorite movie that you think you know everything about, give it a listen, because I'm willing to bet you'll learn something new. And absolutely, this episode of One Movie Punch is one you definitely need to download ASAP. And especially, it'll help you join in the conversation on Wednesday when we were kind of going a little back crazy in a segment Mm. little teaser for you but this episode is dedicated to the land of sports you know how we do it here on the odph you can join in the conversation on our social media accounts ochoduroparleyhour.com like our facebook page follow us on twitter join in the conversation on instagram and always use the hashtag odph because we have a lot to discuss now the biggest story of the weekend pad saturday night Mm -hmm. and pretty much encompasses the sports world what was going on, and that is the NBA All-Star Weekend. Yeah. Now, usually, we don't really preview this because no. it, it, it's a nice fanfare to the NBA fans. Yeah, I mean, we all, I think the only time we've ever really covered it is if we've looked at the three big competitions, points, three-point skills, and dunk contest, and look at the field and gone, holy crap, this is, like, stacked. Yes. So we usually kind of give a quick preview, nothing really in detail, but where we're opening up the segment is – this weekend's events really showcased what the NBA is all about. Probably, I would say, the best they've done in a number of years. Oh, by far and away. Because usually the NBA All-Star Weekend, like, I'm not the biggest NBA guy. I can't sit here and break down plays and break down who's trying to do what or who should do what, like maybe Coach can. But I enjoy the hell out of NBA All-Star Weekend because it's simple, it's fun, it's laid back, it's a chance for the players to just have some fun. You know, you think back in the day when, what was it, uh, Vince Carter dunked and Shaq standing there with a big-ass, you know, video camera and freaking the hell out. Like, yeah. it, it's a moment just to see stars in kind of their natural element. Like, oh, hey, we don't have to be the, up, the uptight you know, super serious guys we are on the court. Yeah, so it's always a fun time to be a fan and you have that interaction and obviously seeing your great players team off for one night. And yeah. usually it's kind of a throwaway game. It's a nice... Defense okay, is optional. Yeah. Until the last, like, 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. But this year was different, and let's kind of just do a quick recap of the weekend. So, sure. Pat, you got the events going on leading into the game? Yeah, so uh, the first uh, event up, I guess you could say, is the 2020... was the 2020 All-Star Game, uh, where... Now, the interesting thing with this was there was a little bit of an interesting twist to it. They've had celebrity coaches in the past. I think that one year was, well, who was it? It was Kevin Hart versus Drake. Yeah, this is the celebrity game. You're this is the celebrity it. game. Uh, this year was an interesting take and a, a very good take, I would say. You had Mike Wilbon, of course, from ESPN, you know, pardon the interruption fame, uh, take on Stephen A. Smith, who I don't need to do any inter- introduction for him. You know who he is. Well, if I'm not mistaken, Wilbon got inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame. He's a nominee to oh, get inducted this year. Congratulations so to him. him. Yes. Yeah, so you had that going on where uh, Common, the rapper, was captain of Team Wilbon. You had uh, artists such as Bad Bunny, Kane Brown, John Batiste. Then uh, you had other folks like Famous Los, who's a comedian. Uh, you had Chelsea Gray from the NBA, WNBA, Quentin Richardson, you know, the NBA legend, taking uh, participating among others. On uh, Stephen A's team, you had Chance, the rapper, of course, from Chicago, you know, born and raised, lives and really tries to help out Chicago. Quavo, Taylor Bennett. Uh, LaRoyce Hawkins, who's an actor on Chicago PD, Anthony Spice Adams, Mark uh, Lassery, who's a co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, Ronnie 2K, you know, uh, from uh, marketing director from 2K Sports. You know, he's the guy, if you go on Twitter and you, and you play, you know, uh, what is it, my team on NBA 2K online and you got an issue with some rating or something, yeah, he's the guy you go to. Uh, you know, and among others, including Darius Miles, you know, NBA legend. Uh, and uh, Common ended up taking the uh, MVP through fan voting. He scored 10 points, five rebounds, three assists, and four steals. 
you know, so, you know, congratulations to him, uh, him and everyone who there. Uh, I think got to be the high, two highlights of the game. Uh, one, Steve and I getting technical. Yeah. That, that was like, that was absolutely hilarious because I don't, it sounded like they were mic'd up, but maybe the production booth had the mics turned down a little bit. And he was arguing with the ref about something. And the ref just goes, technical. And and the announcers were talking about something else entirely. And they were like, oh, he's going to get teed. He's going to get teed. And he, he gets, sure enough, he gets technical. And Steven just goes, what? For why? Yeah. What? Which was absolutely funny. And I'd say the other one had to be uh, Anthony Spice Adams, I think is who it was, was like backing down and trying to do a post up, but maybe a la Kobe, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. And Quentin Richardson just came out of nowhere and swatted that thing about eight rows deep in the seats and just shoved him out of the way, like, get that out of here. Yeah, it's always just a fun time. The celebrity game is just just celebrities getting together, just having some fun. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in a very happy mood. It's it's always a joke game. And just to clarify something I said earlier, Mike Wilbon and Mike Breen were recipients of the 2020 Kurt Gowdy Media Award from oh, the Naismith Basketball right. Association, or Hall of Fame. So just want to clear that up and say congratulations to them. Yeah. So that being said, though, the celebrity game is just kind of like the tip of the iceberg. It kind of gets you in an idea of how the game's going to be because mm-hmm. all the celebrities show up yeah. for the NBA weekend. It's a big media event. Oh, yeah. It's usually a lot of fun. I remember the couple of years Terrell Owens played it. He would play half-court basketball in that he'd only play offense. Like, the ball's on the opposite end of the court. He's not down there. He's waiting on the other end for, like, somebody to just outlet the thing down there so he can score. Yeah. You know, Justin Bieber balling it out, you know, a couple of years ago when he was a little younger and a little shorter. So, you know, it's it's fun moments like that that just absolutely make it something to watch yeah so that was friday night yep and then also you had uh team world to take on team usa now this is kind of to compare it to baseball because uh the nfl doesn't have in the nhl i don't think have anything like this this is like the baseball this is like the equivalent of the uh what is it the the world World baseball classic no no i'm i'm blanking on the name of it but the Major League Baseball does this where they have the rising stars okay. thing where it's like, you know, double A, triple A, single A guys, guys who are like really on the up and up. Like Aaron Judge played there one year. Gary Sanchez played there one year. Like if you're a really high rated prospect, odds are you're going to play at this. Uh, this is in the past. It's been rookies versus sophomores. but And I think it's still rookies and sophomores primarily who play in this. But they've kind of morphed it into kind of more of a fun bragging rights kind of thing where it's team world. So uh, players in the NBA who are born outside the United States, taking on Team USA or players who were born in the United States. And Team USA ended up taking the victory, and this is why I say don't take these games. Defense is optional. USA won 151 to 131. Yeah, it's one thing with All-Star Weekend. Nobody really plays defense, albeit, though, when we get into the actual game. Mm -hmm. A little change of that this year from the actual game. But for the international game, and like I say, it's really cool to kind of see how basketball has spread to become this worldwide phenomenon. Mm Mm-hmm. And you see just the influence of the international players are bringing their style to the game. Yeah. And it's just such a very cool clash of styles. Yeah. That you can definitely see in games like this. Oh, yeah. And like Pat touched upon, defense is optional for this. This is a fan fest. Oh, yeah. Like, essentially, at one point, this Rising Stars game just turned into a glorified dunk contest. Right. Where you had, what was it, Trey Young was on one end trying to throw down jams. And also you had Zion Williamson trying to throw like 360 windmills that were would have been 50s in the dunk contest if they went down. But uh, got to give a Knicks shout-out. Uh, R.J. Barrett, leading scorer on Team World, 27 points. Uh, so shout-out to him. But this is the other fun thing with this game is you have players on this team that might not get to play otherwise. Yep. And you got matchups that you might not get to see otherwise. Like R.J. Barrett played on the floor, was a starter with Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks. Like, that's a fun matchup. That's something I'd love to see. 
you know, in the actual NBA someday might not happen, but hey, you never know. Uh, over on the uh, USA side, uh, uh, looks like Trey Young was the leading scorer, 18 points. Zion Williamson, 14 points. Wasn't quite sure for a while if he was going to be able to play in this game, given how out long out he was. Yeah, I was actually surprised he made it out to it. Uh, I'm I'm not mad about it. No, and if I'm not mistaken, if I heard during the game or I heard a highlight correctly, this is the first time this season he's played a back to back. Yeah. So so there's some kind of kind of question given his injury and how you know how they've been treating his injury and treating his rest and being very careful with it. There was kind of some questions with all right, how is he going to handle this? Yeah, I was actually surprised they the Pelicans let him do it. Yeah, I didn't think they would. I think that he's missed enough time already with a very serious injury mm-hmm. that to let him go back to back for an exhibition game. Maybe not what I would allow him to do per se, but yeah. I know he wants to do something for the fans that have stuck by him through everything. So no issue that. And, and uh, you're touching on Trey Young. Mm-hmm. His jump shot has Whoa. gotten so much better in the, for a pro level. Like I, I'll be very honest. I never thought he'd have that kind of sort no. to it. I and mean, I got to say, Luka dot, Luka's bang shot from half court. <laughs> oh, stop. Good Lord. Ridiculous. Good Lord. No, the, the, so that game was a lot of fun. Uh, and then on Saturday, you had kind of the big night, you know, the the pre, like the Christmas Eve almost to the big night. That was the Skills Challenge. Uh, first up in the Taco Bell Skills Challenge, which essentially what this is, is you've got a, a group of players who go around. They got to basically show off your skills and do show it. Show the fundamentals. Show off the fundamentals, dribbling, passing, you know, everything. And you got to do it the fastest. And this was taken by Bam Adip. Adebayo, uh, apologies if I butchered that, uh, from the Miami Heat. Uh, he won that. Over in the three-point contest, which, Lord, this was probably the best three-point contest they've ever had. In recent memory, In I'll recent say. memory, yeah. Uh, you had Devin Booker, uh, I believe. From Phoenix. From Phoenix was in uh, first place going into the final round. Had 26 points. Buddy Hild, uh from the Sacramento Kings came in there and uh, beat him by one point at the buzzer. Yeah, late minute dramatic finish. Like, look up the highlight on YouTube. It's inc- and just kind of ju- there's a seven minute uh, video from House of Highlights. I think it's what it's called. Uh, jump towards maybe the middle middle part or three quarters of the way through just to catch Buddy Hiles because that's all you really need to see is just how he comes back. Like, all right, you need 26 points to beat him, and he's on his final ball with 25 points and in, in his money rack or the the rack of basketballs where all his points are two points. Mm-hmm. He he needs the final ball to sink it and beat him, and he nails it right at the buzzer. Yeah, it's it's always a cool photo finish when, mm-hmm. when that happens, and especially to give it back to the fans. And I can't reiterate that enough this weekend because this was such a big fan event. If you were on social media mm-hmm. and an NBA fan, this was dominating your Twitter, dominating your Facebook. Yeah, and especially it dominates to the next category because this is where Pad. We are oh. lucky he did not have a live cam oh. on him because oh. we would have got kicked off providers. We would Egregious. Have, there would have been an ODPH special behind the Patreon wall with Love is Scary from Three Fat Nerds. It was, it was how adamant Pad got, so we'll say the views, opinions, and thoughts of that of Padawan J concerning the next segment are representative of Padawan J alone and do not represent the ODPH in any way, shape, or manner. Listener discretion is advised. So the next contest and the final contest of the night was the AT&T Slam Dunk Contest, which if this is like one event you want to watch for the NBA All-Star Weekend, this is it. This is, you know, the pageantry, you know, from, you know, jumping at the free throw line and dunking from there to, you know, Dwight Howard doing the Superman through Blake Griffin jumping over the hood of a car. This is the stuff where, like, it they pull out all the stops. It, it's something to really watch. Like, I remember a couple years ago, uh, well, it was I think it was 2016, where Zach Levine ended up winning. But that final round between him and Aaron Gordon was easily, like, the best dunk contest I've ever seen. The dunk competition has taken on new life over the years. Uh, obviously, if you were around 
in the eight, you know the late eighties, early nineties when mm-hmm. Michael Jordan's popularity was taken off, and him and Dominique yeah. Williams were yeah. having face-offs. That's where it really kind of sparked, and it can definitely set a career on fire yeah. and really propel you into superstardom. Yeah. Take a look at Vince Carter. Yeah, it can take somebody that is not a household name, Harold Miner. It's like Kobe Bryant in '97. Yeah, and really drive it to where all eyes are on you for you know being a spectacle and what you can do with it. Now, granted, the dunk competition over the years has evolved. Let's say we don't talk about 2014. 2014 didn't happen. That's a it's egregious. Yep, we're not going to dig into that. But anytime a car is involved and. Well, 2014 was the year. So the, this is my one issue with the dunk contest. Leave it how it is. You know, you've got the rounds, you know, the highest, you know, bracketing, you know, the highest, however many scores move on to the next round, you know, timer, you know, they got to make it in in that time out of time. Don't change it up. 2014 was the year they made it East versus West. Yeah. So if you go to NBA.com and you go to the, their page about the dunk contest and their little article about it, they list all the winners from the top first dunk contest all the way up through last year. And it says 2014 East. Paul George, Terrence Ross, John Wall. Yeah. I remember watching that dunk contest. That dunk contest was bad. Yeah, it was absolutely awful. I just always think it was crazy of how they were setting it up for Blake Griffin mm-hmm. to jump over the the car sponsorship. Yeah, that the, they wheeled the it out and and like I say, the dunk competition for me is always how you can be creative with what you have on the floor. Yeah, I mean there there was the one year who was a Gerald Green of the Boston Celtics put a cupcake. Uh, yes, I'm talking like you know the pastry, the a cupcake. Yeah. On the the back portion of the rim, so the big you know flat area on the on the rim, put a candle in it, lit said candle, and then went up, dunked it, and blew the candle out simultaneously. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Also, in that same year, Dwight Howard went up and slapped a sticker on the billboard on the backboard that, if I remember right, was like borderline eight feet up. Or mm-hmm. something absurd. It was some absurd. It's an absurd height, but it just goes to show that the dunk competition has evolved mm-hmm. and gone in some very unique, yeah, to politely directions. Like I say, the fact of Griffith jumping over the car, yeah, sticks out to me. Like okay, say the fact Nate Robinson is a three-time champion. Yeah, it just goes to show anybody can win it on any given night. And this one though had a little controversy behind well, it. Well, and there was some there was it was very highly anticipated because you had Pat Connaughton uh, from the Milwaukee Bucks, Aaron Gordon from the Orlando Magic, Dwight Howard from the Lakers and then Derek Jones Jr. from Miami taking uh taking part in it. Dwight Howard, you know, until Kobe passed away, there was talks that he might have gotten Kobe involved in some way, so unfortunate for that. But Aaron Gordon being in the dunk contest again because if I remember correctly, uh, what was it? He 2016, he was in it, and then 2017, he wasn't able to be in it because I want to say he was injured. Yeah, he was injured that year, and then 2018, I don't think he did it at all. So to have Aaron Gordon be back in this, and I'm and I implore you, go back, go to YouTube, look up 2016 NBA dunk contest highlights, and just watch that final round between him and Zach Levine, where you have the likes of Charles Barkley. And, and Kenny, the Jet Smith, sitting and Shaq and others saying, just give them both a trophy. Like, they were nailing 50-point scores, which is the highest point total you can get in the dunk contest, left and right. Like, they were going back and forth. Like, they were they were dunking so much, they were running out of ideas and having, having to come up with stuff on the spot. Mm. You know, so this year there was a lot of anticipation, you know, with what's going on. And you get to the biggest point in the night and Aaron Gordon, I think at one point had nailed like five 50 point dunks or something. Yeah. Like he he had a streak going. He was, he had this locked up, signed, sealed and delivered. 
And he brought out Taco Fall from the Boston Celtics, who's like seven foot five, seven foot six, if I'm not mistaken. He's seven foot five, if I'm not mistaken. Seven foot five. So when Shaq looks up to the, comes stands next to him, he has to look up to Shaq, which tells you a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, same height as Yao Ming, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, so he he dunks over Taco Fall, and everyone's like, "That's it, that's a wrap," but they only gave him a forty-seven, and everyone's like, "Wait, what?" And then you know, uh, who was it Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. of Miami comes in, and you know, pulls it out and ends up winning, egregiously. Yeah, that that was an awful way to take it from Aaron Gordon. Yeah, because now Aaron Gordon, because Aaron Gordon should have won it in 2016 when he went up up against Zach Levine in the finals. Like no disrespect to Zach Levine. Zach Levine was a very great in that dunk contest, but Aaron Gordon jumped over the magic. Uh, mascot while he was on one of those I forget what they're called now those things you ride on and you lean forward and backwards oh segway not segways yeah. but kind of like a segway I forget what they're called um hover no not hoverboard whatever they're called you know and the and the mascot was going in circles and he sat in midair grabbed the ball from underneath him and dunked it yeah pretty sure it's a segway you know no, no segways there's something else entirely different okay um but he lost it that year he was robbed that year. He was robbed this year. The world record, I saw this, uh, was retweeted by a person named Katie Sharp, who does a Yankee fan. Highly recommend following her. She tweets a lot of great uh, stats for Yankee players during the season. Uh, she retweeted somebody who said, the world record for high jump is 7 foot 11.6 inches. Taco Fall is 7 foot 5. So Aaron Gordon cleared 7 foot 5, and he almost broke... If there was a Guinness or some sort of record holder person to be there and judge it, he could have probably easily broken the world record for high jump. Yeah. If you do that and you don't win, like, what the hell? Yeah, I didn't understand that whole judging system. It should have been Aaron Gordon all the way. Yeah. I understand if you want to try giving a little drama to the event, but at the same time, it's a fan service event. Mm-hmm. This isn't a real, per se, competition. But it is because there's a trophy given at the end, and you're crowned a champion. Well, and this this is kind of my one issue with it. Is years ago, you know, a couple of years ago, within the last decade, uh, I remember, especially when later or later two thousands, uh, was the fan vote, where mm. yeah, you had the judges vote, and that determined who made it into the you know made it onto the competition. But once you got to the final round. You, you had to send a text message of A or B or whatever it was to a number to vote for who you thought won. Right. They need to bring that back because univer- unless you're, you're a Miami fan, I think universally and globally people were saying Aaron Gordon should have won. Well, they should have just crowned him co-champion yeah. for, for whatever reason. And like I say, I don't know why. Well, they, see, you can't tell me, oh, they can't give the trophy to more than one person. They gave it to three people in 2014. Exactly. There are ways to do this. So whatever they got against Aaron Gordon, I, I don't get. Well, and, that, and that's a shame that because after this was over, Aaron Gordon said, you know, I've done this twice and I've gotten robbed twice. He's like, I'm done doing this. Yeah, he has. Which is, right which is to, a shame. Yeah, he has a right to complain about it. I, I have no I have no issue with it. No, yeah. It, it would have to be something like maybe make him the judge or, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know. What I also, do well, him. I like the idea somebody put out of having past champions. Yeah. Be, uh, be judges because no disrespect to Chadwick Boseman, but Chadwick Boseman, of course, played Black Panther in the Marvel movies, was one of the judges. What well, What do you know about dunking? Yeah, like have dunk con- dunk champions be in there because hey, who knows dunks better than these guys? 
you know, the other thing I think they should do is make the scores cumulative. So, like, okay, after however many dunks, you know, top whatever scores move on. And then have those point totals carry over so that when you get to the end, hey, here's your champion. Yeah, they should do something with it. They have to fix that judging because it, it just the fact he got robbed in the way that he did. Gordon, mm-hmm. Gordon's not going to come out there, and if there's somebody else that feels the same way, it's going to be tough to get players to do that because a lot of times this is just meant to be a good party weekend and celebrate the NBA in the halfway point of the yeah. season. So to see it get stopped like this and, and just really kind of put a damper on festivities because everybody was so adamant on social media about how Gordon got robbed, and I fully agree. Yeah. So whatever they want to do moving forward with it, they need to make some changes. But then we get to Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And Sunday was the first game, obviously, since Kobe Bryant unfortunately passed away. Mm-hmm. Definitely influenced the game you know, with his energy, and he was always an all-star staple yeah. uh, when he played. So this was... 14 times. I forget how many times all-star he went to the all-star game. It was a lot. Yeah, so obviously the NBA... Really wanted to make sure that Kobe was paid respect to in this. There was the very cool video with Dr. Dre producing. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Two, two California icons. Yes, absolutely. So we get to the big festivities, and usually, like we say, defense is optional mm-hmm. in this game. But this year had a little different feel to it. So Yeah, so uh, for years and years and years, the NBA All-Star Game was much like any other All-Star Game or Pro Bowl. You know, one conference versus the other conference and fan voting and you take each other on. But that was getting kind of bland. So a couple of years ago, they changed it up and they made it, you know, almost like a kind of popularity contest. But let's be honest, it was a popularity contest before where you had the two highest vote getters in the all-star game voting would be team captains. And then they would go and draft their own teams. Mm-hmm. So adding a little bit of fun, a little bit, again, much like Team World versus Team USA, matchups you might not normally see or team ups you might not normally see. Because let's be honest, I can't ever see LeBron. James tweet, uh, teaming up with a starting five of him, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, James Harden, or Luka Doncic. Yeah, I mean, how I mean, unless you're playing 2K with like a bunch of settings turned off. Yeah, it's absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, you can get see this lineup in person. Yep. And then they even got some interesting uh, rules this year uh, because in years past and up until this year, it was always the four, standard basketball game, four quarters, you know, played it to whoever wins. Uh, you know, so the way the rules worked this year was uh, Team Giannis and Team LeBron uh, would compete to win each of the first three quarters of the game. Those quarters will, would be the standard 12 minutes, but would start with a 0-0 score. At the beginning of the fourth quarter, the game clock will, would be turned off and a final target score would be set based on the team's leading cumulative score uh, through the first three quarters. That target score would be the team leading will uh, would be the leading team's total score plus 24 points. Uh, once the target score is finalized, uh, Team Giannis and Team LeBron will play the untimed fourth quarter and the first team to reach the target will score the, will, will win the game. So something a little interesting, something fun. Uh, it ultimately turns into a game of street ball. If, mm-hmm. you, if you really think about it, like I think at one point Russell Westbrook lobbed up a, a pass to Chris Paul, and Chris Paul just dunked it, which I think if I read the stat right during the game, that was Chris Paul's second career uh, lob dunk. Chris Paul is having such an underrated season mm-hmm. in Oklahoma City. It's not even funny. And the fact they're going to be contending in the playoffs, yeah. especially after how they've been gutted. Yeah. Wow. We'll say 26, uh, 23 points, six assists, uh, two rebounds for the game. So, you know, for all-star games, that's pretty good. Uh, but uh, Team LeBron ended up taking the win uh, by the final score of 157 to 155. Lord, that's a lot of points. 
You know, uh, looking at it, LeBron James, 23 points. Kawhi Leonard, who took home MVP, uh, 30 points. Anthony Davis, 20 points. James Harden had 11. Uh, Luka Doncic had 8. There we go. Chris Paul, like I mentioned, had 23 over on Team Giannis. Uh, Giannis had 25 points. Uh, Paul Sikayim of the Toronto Raptors had 15 points. Joel Embiid of the 76ers had 22 points. Kemba Walker of the Boston Celtics had 23 points. And then Trey Young had 10 points. Absolutely phenomenal second half of the game, mm-hmm. I would say. This was the first time you really saw the teams playing defense in that third quarter, or in the fourth quarter, really. Mm-hmm. They really kind of started turning on the third, but the fourth is really the defining moment. And this is where you can say they really paid the tribute to Kobe. Yeah. You saw the quote-unquote Mamba mentality come out that this was a very, very competitive game, and nobody wanted to lose this one. No. And this is where they really stepped up as in the NBA players to pay tribute because obviously – the events of what happened are still weighing heavy on the players in the league. Mm-hmm. Kobe's influence was felt throughout this game. In fact, they named the All-Star MVP trophy after in Memorial. Yeah. So this was something that the players really stepped up and really wanted to showcase for. And coming right down to Anthony Davis making those light free throw shots to seal the deal. This is why you really care about the game because there's so much emotion involved, and the players really demonstrated that. And with Kawhi winning that trophy too – it was just of how much Kobe has influenced his game. And you have to say who's going to be the next one with that Mamba mentality. Boy, I don't know. There's a lot of guys who you know say they want that Mamba mentality, say they they follow that, they're a part of it. But, you know, let's see what you got. I think the closest one you got to say is Kawhi. Yeah. The closest one right now. And I think he really took this role in the spotlight to step it up in the All-Star game for that. And going forward with it, I think that – he's going to be somebody that maybe makes that next step into the face of the league. Mm-hmm. It could happen because, I mean, LeBron is there right now. Yeah. And you can't say otherwise, yeah. really. Oh, yeah. You can make some arguments for other people, but, I mean, LeBron has got a few more years left and just father time is going to catch up with him. He's got yeah. a lot of tread on the tires. Yeah, so the other uh, shout-out we got to give is to Miles Bridges, who's a forward for the Charlotte Hornets, one MVP in the Rising Stars uh, basketball game of the, uh, the, this weekend. During halftime, I'm showing Ken, tweeted this, all right, bet, with the meme of a person playing video games, leaning back and then leaning forward as if to get more serious and like, all right, game time. Tweeted that at halftime, came out of the half, balled out and won MVP. It just goes to show about how players can turn it on when it matters most, and obviously they want to give back to the fans. Mm -hmm. Because you know going into these games, it's a star-studded event, and I can't stress it enough. It's supposed to be a celebration of the season, and they did it right this year. This was the first time in recent memory that I want to say the All-Star game mattered. Yeah. Because usually it's just a, a fun exhibition. Players are messing around. I mean, I remember one year Steph Curry did not want to get posterized, so he oh laid down on the floor. Oh, my God. Yeah, Giannis was coming on a fast break yep. by himself. Curry would look up the highlight. You know, Curry ducks Giannis or something to that effect on YouTube. Curry Curry is the only person back on defense with Giannis coming with a full head of steam, and Curry full-fledged just lays on his stomach covering his head. Yeah, it's truly remarkable to see of just those moments. And you have to sit there and go, this is why you like the NBA and the All-Star game. You can just kind of take a step back and just really enjoy it for what it is. But this year, like I said, the whole weekend had a different feel. And obviously, Kobe's influence was lasting on the players that were playing the game, and they really wanted to make sure they paid tribute properly. Because mm-hmm. Kobe was always serious when he played the game. 
And yeah. he always went out there to win. That's why we say Mamba mentality is you know remaining in the league. And I know players are saying I'm going to continue that. Kawhi really stepped it up. Like I said, he really kind of jumped out for me from everybody else this mm-hmm. weekend. Yeah. And really had the influence of Kobe on him. Mm-hmm. They really demonstrated that. I'll say, yeah, like you said, LeBron's got that, but like he already had that before Kobe passed away. Yeah. He's always had that. You know, yeah, it hasn't always been the most accurate, you know, mama mentality. He hasn't always been that clutch. You know, he's had his moments. But it's going to be interesting with this class of players that's in there now that have that killer instinct but really haven't brought it out or fully fledged it, you know, to see, all right, who really is going to step up and have that ice-cold-blooded mentality? Well, it goes to show just the influence and somebody's got to step up and do that and just how the game still always has somebody in there that shows that competitive side to them. That mm-hmm. is just on a different level. You saw it with Kawhi in the playoffs last year. He single-handedly brought Toronto. Yeah. I mean, look what he willed out of them, and he got the yeah. most out of the team. Yeah. And that team still is doing well oh, yeah. this year. So let's yeah. not let's not say you know they're falling apart without him. Oh God, no! They just won like what is it, fourteen in a row, fifteen yeah. in a row? I mean, but it just goes to show that if you're around a player that can influence you on that level and influence and make the players around him better, mm-hmm. the sky is the limit. That is why when Kawhi left and went to the Clippers, everybody felt the shift of the power in the NBA, so to speak because they knew what he was going to bring to the table. And obviously, he's taken his game to a different level. Yeah. And where they go from this, the remainder of the season, it's going to be a fun basketball season to watch. I got Mm -hmm. a feeling. Because you're talking about the West is going to be absolutely competitive as all blazes. Oh, yeah. And like I said, you can't sleep on Oklahoma City right now. No, I mean, that's the thing is is as good as the Lakers are playing and as much as they're getting talked about, you know, they have a 41-12 and record first in the Western Conference. Denver's right there. They're only four games out of first place. Yeah. You know, 38 and 17. Yeah, and it just goes to show there's going to be so much parity. It's going to go back and forth. It's going to be absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show, I mean, you have something to look forward to with basketball. And again, with the NBA. Yeah, and especially the Eastern Conference, you know, at the, again, it's wide open. Except what? for the Knicks. Well, yes, the Knicks. It's hey, but hey, Knicks don't have the worst record in the Eastern Conference. Yes, we're we're improving. Small victories. I think it's Coach Duffy mingling at the parties. Like I said, he's going to be networking his influence. Who knows? Maybe Coach is going to come back and announce that he was going to be joining the Knicks organization moving forward. No, well, maybe. I don't know. He was he was saying he was out in Chicago and trying to get into all the parties. We'll so he was Knicks not last in the East, not last in the NBA. We'll take it as a win, as the fans should for this past weekend of All Star action. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts about the NBA All-Star Weekend? Did you like it? Did you hate it? And why? Let's have that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Elijah, are you ready to bring on the weird? Yes, Will I am. Are you ready to bring on the weird? Did you Did you just make a Will I am joke? Uh, Yeah, I did. <laughs> nice. I'll allow it. Anyway, we're just a couple of harmless guys digging into weird things we don't know much about. We're just trying to figure out what the hell is happening in the world outside our homes. Do we get things wrong? Without a doubt. Are we learning from those mistakes? Not anytime soon. Are you entertained by the crap we're talking about? Of course. That's why I always listen to the show. You listen? Alright, what, what do you like to listen to about the show? I like aliens, conspiracies, cryptids, NWO, shadow government, you name it. What? Oh, hold on. Do the aliens come from inside the Earth instead of interstellar travel? What made the conspiracy start? Why did that cryptid evolve to do the things it does? Who runs this NWO? Listen in as we dive into all manners of subjects as we bring on the weird. 
You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. You can listen to clips of our episodes on our YouTube channel. Listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hi, this is Jimmy Gazdick from Crimson Brethren and Floodlands, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we got to talk some UFC action. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a fight night card this past week on ESPN Plus. Yeah, although admittedly, you might have looked at the Wikipedia page because, hey, finding the page, the card for UFC uh, is usually easier on Wikipedia than it is on the UFC's own website. Yeah, we've had better luck doing that. So, yep. But this card did have one fight in particular that had some very big implications. Yeah. But we're going to give you a quick rundown of the card. This was UFC Fight Night 167. Ooh. Pad, you got the breakdown. Yep. So uh, it was taking place from Rio Rancho, New Mexico, which I got a little bit of a bone to pick with the folks in charge of media, social media and videos and such, uh, be it UFC or ESPN. I realize you were calling it UFC Rio because it's in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. But I got really confused and thought it was in Rio, uh, Brazil. So just kind of hey, be a little more aware of that. Uh, but no, yeah, the card took place. Uh, probably the first fight that kind of jumped out to me and, and had a lot of people talking was uh, the lightweight matchup between Brock Weaver and Kazula Vargas, uh, which was a DQ by illegal knee. Mm-hmm. Not, not a good look. No, definitely not a good look. And this was kind of a haunting thing mm-hmm. for the night. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, anytime you have a, a, a opponent that is down and you hit him with a legal knee, it can be a disqualification depending on what happens. Well, you get a, you get the knee thrown, you get stop, and then all the fans are going, wait, have they adopted the new rules yet? Yeah, because that's something that some states still have not done yet. To After five plus years. Yeah, it's still everybody's taking their time adapting to them. So this one obviously was a very big black eye on the mm-hmm. card, so to speak, because this definitely kind of set the tone of for the fights. Every time there's like a disqualification like that, yeah, it usually takes a while for the fights to get back on track. Yep. And obviously there was a women's flyweight match that happened after with Montana De La Rosa getting the decision over Mara Barella. Mm-hmm. And then the co-main event was the one and only Diego Sanchez, yep. Mr. Daniel Bryant, yes, <laughs> taking on Michael Perea, mm-hmm. who has been known for his flashy entrances and dancing in in the fights in the ring, like so high I, high energy. I'll say I think uh, one Michael Bisping took exception to this. Yeah, he did in the post fight. There was look up the video. There's a good little back and forth with him and uh, what Chiesa. Yeah, Michael Chiesa. Michael Chiesa talking about this. Well, this one though was pretty one sided in my opinion. Perea is a guy that's on the rise and was dominating the fight pretty much from the get go. Mm-hmm. Diego is a small welterweight, in my opinion. He's not exactly the Diego of old, the one that was running rough shot in the lightweight division. And Diego has fought this weight class before, so it's not like he yeah. decided to take a jump. Right. But he's also on the back end of his career. I mean, he has a lot of tread on his tires. Mm-hmm. 52 fights oh. will do that to you. Yeah. And he does not exactly do one-rounders. He gets into wars. Mm-hmm. Take a look at the fight with Clay Guida which is still the craziest first round I have ever seen in the UFC. Well, so like you said, 52 professional fights, and his first one uh, was on June 21st of 2002. Yeah. I mean, from the Ultimate Fighter Season 1, yeah, where he was a standout fighter there, his career has gone a long ways. And like I say, there is a, a rule of thumb that when you fight Diego, you don't come out of it the same, that you're changed mm-hmm. because he does that much damage. He is just a different type of fighter. 
So that being said, Perea was dominating this fight, and then he had him up against the cage, and Diego was dropping to one knee, mm-hmm. and Perea caught him in the face yep. with a knee, Yep. stopped the fight. Diego could not see out of that, and he definitely was disoriented because they did have the camera on him when he was talking with the doctors, and he said, I can't see. Mm-hmm. And they had to stop the fight. Diego got the win via disqualification. So, yet again, we had a disqualification on the card. If I saw on Twitter correctly, the first time in UFC history you've had two illegal knee disqualifications on the same card. Correct. And it was almost Mm back-to-back. So the crowd was very livid, and I understand why. Yeah. This is something, as a professional fighter, it... You have to be careful throwing. And Perea, I know, was saying it wasn't illegal. And Well, yeah, and it's something that, like, you're a professional fighter. You should know not to do it. It's almost like when I go to the hockey game with my my family and my mom sits there and, the, and a team might get a too many men on the ice penalty. She goes, how, are you, how do you do this? You're professionals. You should know better. Yeah, it's just something that you have to be careful, especially when an opponent is down in the need position where they're on one knee is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to refer to. Because you can get caught with it. I know in years past, before they've made changes to the rule about a downed opponent, it has cost fighters fights. Yeah. This was no exception because this was a straight shot. I mean, was it intentional? No, but he he did throw it and he was down. So it one of those heat of the moment things, however you want to define it. Anyway, Diego got the win. Uh, so there's a very big asterisk by this, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Nothing against Diego. Diego is a wild man. Yeah. And where he goes from here i don't know Perea, i i don't see this really hurting his standing no too much but he has to come back and really make a statement in his next fight which he has the skills to do i mean he was definitely yeah. being very flashy yeah in this fight uh he did try a showtime kick <laughs> which i mean i always applaud being a pettis fan so i don't think it's gonna hurt either fighter moving forward i don't think anybody's tried that since he pulled that off uh, one fighter did. Uh, it escapes me who. Okay. But Perea almost hit it though. Oh wow! That was the thing. Wow. Like he he was throwing a lot of different looks, and like I say, it was being very energetic in the cage. Diego came out and, and tried doing a barrel roll. Well, so yeah, it's, and it's him. funny we haven't seen that really since. Uh, you know that happened years ago. Do with Pettis and Henderson. With Pettis and Henderson, because it's almost like in, there are times that it feels like a fighter looks at the at the uh, cage. At the, at the rungs on the cage, and the ref goes, hey, don't you do it. Well, it's something that is very unorthodox that you don't expect to see, and that's why it works so well for Pettis. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that he didn't knock Henderson out with that when he threw it the first time. Yeah. But it was something that, as a fighter, you try being very creative with your striking. If you can get an advantage on your opponent to do that, by all means, because it was completely legal. It's just very, very tough to do. And very mm-hmm. tough to connect. But Perea was trying a lot of different looks. But unfortunately, the one that caught him was late in the third round. Yeah. And otherwise, he would have had this 30-27, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There was no chance of this going the other way. So we get to the main event. Now, mm-hmm. why we say this is very important, this had light heavyweight title contendership implications all over this. Mm-hmm. In the crowd was current reigning defending undisputed light heavyweight champion John Jones. Which is rare. Well, it's rare, but it was in the backyard of Greg Jackson's camp. That's true. You know what? what I forgot about that. By Albuquerque. So he was there. He was saying he was doing meet and greets with fans in between fights, which I thought was a very cool thing to do. Yeah. But John was waiting to see who was coming out of this one. Now, you had Corey Anderson, who was on a heck of a fight streak uh, coming into this, and he was facing Jan Blahovitz. because I apologize. I guess I've been saying it wrong for a couple weeks now. But Blahovitz has been coming in. On a, on a fight streak of his own. So this one was almost a title or contender eliminator, so mm-hmm. to speak. 
And this one, Pat, how did this go? So this one went, uh, Jan Blahovitz defeated Corey Anderson via knockout punch, uh, not Big Show knockout punch, uh, in the first round, three minutes and eight seconds in. Yeah, very impressive performance by Blahovitz. Uh, he caught him with a right and just dropped him. It was just a straight knockout. And right after the fight, Blahovitz went right over to John and was pointing. wasn't even right after the fight. It was like, you know, <laughs> fight got over. Instant second went over and like, hey, you and me, let's go. Well, it's a smart move to do because John now has to figure out who is next. Mm-hmm. And this one took Anderson off the board. I know Anderson was very, very much trying to push for this fight to happen with John. Right, and I mean, he's you look at his record, you know, uh, as it stands right now, 14, uh, in 14 and then 4, now uh, 14 and 5, uh, had defeated folks the likes of Johnny Walker, Ilya Latifi, Glover Teixeira, Patrick Cummins, uh, Tom Lawler, you know, had losses against Ovint St. Peru, Jimmy Manoa, and Mauricio Hua. You know, so definitely beaten some names and lost to some names. So for me, it was always a bit of a stretch thing. Oh, yeah, he should be the next guy to take on John Jones. Like, okay, you know, you beat Johnny Walker. Cool. He's up and coming. Little green, I'd say. You know, you beat Ilya Latifi. That, right, that's a, that's a notch in your cap. Glover Teixeira on the backside, downward slide in yeah. his career. Not exactly a feather in your cap on that one. So for me, it was always a stretch. When people are saying, oh, yeah, no, Corey Anderson's the next guy to take on John. Well, he did the smart thing, which a lot of fighters do. Let me get on Twitter. Let yeah. me go make some noise. that yeah. goes viral. It's the new thing. It's the new thing. And I don't I don't knock him to do it. I guess I would just say if you win in the cage, you'll you'll get your fight sooner than later. I long for the days when I forget which Diaz brother it was. It was one of the Diaz boys uh, when it was a UFC on Fox card that dropped F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb, and it was like a two-minute silenced sound. That would be Nate. Okay, that was Nate. Yeah, that was great. Look up that clip. Yeah, Nate in a post-fighter, because uh, he was calling him McGregor. Okay, yeah, it, and if it, I'm not mistaken, Joe Rogan, wait, you can't say that. We're on live public television. Right, which he got him his fight eventually. I, so. long, I long for those days. Those days were great. Well, anytime the Diaz brothers get on the mic, it's always gold. It's always gold for sound bites. But going to this fight, though, John was very eager to jump on top of the seats he was in, and he kind of had the moment with Blahovitz there. So the question now becomes, who's next? Well, I think we know who's next. Oh? I think it's Jan Blahovitz. I mean, you look at him, he's beating Corey Anderson, Chakare Souza, Luke Rockhold, Nikita Krylov, Jimmy Manoa, you know, just to name a few. He's beating a lot of names. I don't dispute that, but then what do you do with Dominic Reyes? Mm. See, this is the question the UFC has to answer. Well, I think this also kind of holds to what's this uh, medical status of Reyes? You know, is he medically suspended? Is he good to go? Like, that's kind of where we're at. I know that their Blahovitz was on the uh, Ariel Hawani show, mm-hmm. and there was a prospect that was kind of thrown out there because uh, Blahovitz is said that he will not take a fight with Dominic Reyes. He was only going to take a fight with John Jones. He's he will wait for his title shot, mm. which it has pluses and minuses, which I'll get to in a sec. But he also said on there it came up in discussion rather that okay, if Blahovitz fights Jones. Dominic Reyes should fight Tiago Santos 
Okay. And the winner of that gets the winner of the Jones fight. Ooh, okay. Did some digging. Uh, according to MMAJunkie.com, which is a page, uh, one of the subsites off of USA Today, uh, back on the 11th of February, uh, this is from uh, the our author is Nolan King, uh, quote, John Jones and Dominic Reyes battled for five rounds at UFC 247, but it seems they've come out relatively unscathed. The pair of headliners each received a 31-day suspension, according to a Texas Department of Licensing and Regu- Regulation document obtained third tuesday excuse me so dominic reyes none the worse for wear got to sit out a month but ready to go i'll be ready to go so the only question now is like we said who do you bump in there do you go with lahoitz to fight him or do you go reyes mm. now if i am john i am taking blahovitz yeah i i think that blahovitz is the contender you want reyes did enough that you can make the argument for the fight. Mm-hmm. But the question is, do you want to have an immediate rematch against the guy that took you to the limit right now? Or do you want to get one more fight to see some tape and really have a game plan for him? I go with the second one. Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense on on that aspect. Plus, we we discussed on the show many times before, very rarely – does the UFC do back-to-back rematches, mm-hmm. like immediate yeah. rematches? Yeah. Certain fighters have warranted that. Anderson Silva, when he was finally defeated by Chris Weidman, that made sense because Silva had been so dominant with his belt. The Frankie Edgar Gray Maynard series comes to mind, and I believe that there was a, a immediate rematch with Benson Henderson as well, too. That those kind of fights, or no, Henderson, I think, was pushing for that. But Frankie has had the the trilogy fight with Gray Maynard and, and kind of log jammed up the division. And that's why you don't see that that often. Yeah. So this one, I don't know. I guess I would kind of say Blahovitz makes a lot of sense for me. Yeah. And then with Reyes, I love the idea against him against Diego Santos because the question would become, Santos did push John to the limit. Mm-hmm. Well, shouldn't he get an immediate rematch against yeah. John when he's healthy? Yeah. And if you're the UFC, what makes the most sense? I love the idea of a, of a contender eliminator match. Oh, yeah, I like that idea. You put John against Blahovitz, you know, winner take all. In the meantime, in between time, you have Reyes versus Santos. You know, depending on how that goes, like no matter who wins, you get the champion next. Yeah, that's what I think they should do because still there is option C that we haven't discussed. Stipe Miocic. Yeah. And would John move up to heavyweight to fight him? I think right now John doesn't need to. No. I think that there is now suddenly, which as a fight fan I'm happy to see, the light heavyweight contendership is actually back being relevant. Mm -hmm. You have fighters in there that can test the champ. Yeah. And that's what you want in any good weight class. Yeah. You don't want somebody that's so dominant that people lose interest Mm -hmm. in seeing. And it's nothing against the fighters that are in there, but when you have a champion that's so dominant, Mm -hmm. and like I say, Anderson Silva is probably the closest we've had until John Jones right now. Mighty Mouse. Mighty Mouse, too. Mighty Mighty Mouse Mouse ran that division for a decade. Yeah, and he's still killing it over in one championship. I still argue that that was one of the biggest mistakes of the UFC. I'll say the UFC traded away a 10-year champion and got a six-month fighter. They got a six-month fighter who was great for sound bites and Askren. Took one knee and left. Well, there was nothing. No, he came back and he, he did uh, have that match with Damian Maya. Well, yeah, that's true. But a lot of people forget about it. And it's just 
at that stage, Askren was already on the back end of the career, so there's nothing really to write home about at that stage. And meanwhile, Mighty Mouse is pound for pound one of the best fighters on the planet. He just fights at a small weight class, which mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't help him out much, but it does enough when you have a talented division. The UFC just never had that for him in, in flyweight because you can only fight Joseph Benavidez and John Dotson so many times. Yeah, that it's really not going to wind up doing anything for you. So that being said, the fight they should make is Lahovitz versus John. I don't know when they're going to do it. I would imagine that they'll want to get that done sooner than later. But until they get that done, mm-hmm. you know, John still has his options. I'm not saying we won't see another fighter maybe make some noise to get in yeah. in, in the talk of it. Yeah. Because, like I said, it depends on how soon Tiago Santos can come back. He's going to be a major factor in that division. Yeah. And him against Reyes, I love that idea. Not saying that Reyes doesn't deserve the immediate rematch, but when you start doing immediate rematches, you logjam your division. If you're supposed to be the champ, you should be able to beat everybody in your division at any given moment. So what's a matter of three months to six months? Mm-hmm. Time is all is a is a wonderful thing when you got the champion that can sit there and just take on all comers. It just depends on what you want to do with it. So that being said, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about the UFC's light heavyweight division? Where do you think it's going, and where do you think John Jones is going to wind up next against Stipe Miocic, Dominic Reyes, or Jan Blachowicz? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello there. Do you like movies but feel overwhelmed by the avalanche of titles available every week in the theaters and on streaming services? Do you struggle with justifying the increasing cost of movies at the theater or whether to pick up another streaming service? Well, I have a resource for you. One Movie Punch. Your movie review podcast for currently playing newly streaming classic and cult movies. One movie per day, every day. We track the theaters, streaming services, and the occasional physical release to find the best movies currently available. We watch every film, then distill it into a short three to five minute review and publish a daily podcast. And now with year two, we've gone spoiler free for all movies within the last three years and bringing on a team of reviewers with brand new perspectives and selections. Want more information? Head over to www.onemoviepunch.com to subscribe to the daily podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Movie Punch and Facebook at www.facebook.com slash One Movie Punch. We'll see you there. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for the third segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and let's talk some wrestling. Wrestling. Time to run the ropes and do our wrestling recap. And there was a big, big card this past Sunday, NXT TakeOver Portland. Possibly the best ever? Possibly. This definitely had a lot going on. It was definitely crazy. Pad, why don't you break it down for us? So to lead off the card, because they didn't, unlike uh, regular WWE pay-per-views, there are no pre-show matches. I think it was only, what, like maybe a half hour uh, pre-show before they kicked off right into the main show. Half hour pre-show and then Poppy was singing, right? Yep, Poppy opened uh, the show. She uh, sang the theme for NXT TakeOver Portland. Uh, But that led right into uh, the NXT North American Championship match between Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic. Uh, where Keith Lee defended his belt and defeated uh, Dominic Dijakovic in 
possibly one of the best matches I've seen of all time. That was absolutely mind-blowing. That was insane. How crazy that match was. That was insane. Trying to put that into words, Keith Lee is just a phenom walking. Donovan Dijak, because I hate saying Dijakovic because I know him from the indie days, and that's Mm -hmm. how I'm used to saying it. Absolutely. Those two could not put on a bad match if they tried. They stole the show and had the match of the night to lead off the show, which is damn near impossible to do. But to see how these guys can move around the ring, and Keith Lee, like I say, is limitless for a reason, Mm -hmm. and just how they were flying over the top rope, and then Dijakovic doing the leap of all leaps, doing a somersault into the announce table area. Say uh, like six foot seven plus uh, inches tall. Yeah, I mean, both these gentlemen are almost seven feet. And, I mean, Lee is... 300 pounds easy 300 320 but, i think but moves said. around like a cruiserweight and yeah. just i mean they're doing you know spanish fly flips off the top rope and hitting their finishers oh so they did one of them i think at one point did a standing hurricane rana yeah absolutely incredible and this is just what you want to see to get the crowd into it and man was the crowd livid so they were mm-hmm. like livid in the good sense like they were just feeding off the energy yeah the wrestlers came out and like i said they damn near sold the show mm-hmm. so you're figuring okay the next match was going to be a letdown in this area yeah because good luck following this up no this one kept the train rolling mm-hmm. dakota kai versus tegan Knox in a street fight didn't wait for the bell to ring no i absolutely love dakota kai's heel turn i've been talking yeah. about this on twitter at od parlay hour one of the best, if not the best, it rivals with Bailey over the past couple of years of just who they've turned teal and just let them go. Mm-hmm. And Knox comes out to do her entrance, and the, the Kai doesn't even wait. Yep. Attacks at the entryway, and they were laying in shots, too. Oh, yeah. Like, this was not anything for the weak of heart. No. That they God were just no. literally doing all types of just barbaric action. Like, let's just see how crazy we can get. And if they tell us to stop, we'll stop. Right, which I, I do have to say, though, if I have to find one fault in mm-hmm. with this match, and it's, it's not a fault, but when Dakota Kai was on the outside of the ring mm-hmm. and had a was put inside the trash can. Yes. And Knox did the somersault flipping oh, yeah. cannonball. Wouldn't that hurt Knox more than that would hurt Dakota? One, one would think. Yeah, that, that one was just like, all right, I don't necessarily know if that move would do as much damage as we're selling. Yeah. But they made up for it and they just were going at it. I mean, just brutal chair shots and just the storytelling in this match was excellent mm-hmm. and really sold the story because they're former best friends and yeah. now they turned together, turned against each other. So definitely it was a good match. Albeit though, the ending kind of, kind of threw it off for me. A little yeah. Bit. I mean, I gotta, I can't take credit for this. Somebody said it on Twitter. I'm just borrowing from it. You know, they had the run in and and somebody helped out Bailey or not Bailey, excuse me, Dakota. I'm, I forget who it was. Raquel Gonzalez. Thank you, Raquel Gonzalez. And like, oh, my God, it's, you know, so so like if you're going to do that in a match, save it for somebody who might be a little more of a household name, because admittedly, I didn't watch the Mae Young Classic, nothing against any of the women who were in it. I just didn't have time in my life to get around to watching it. I had no idea who the hell that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of definitely threw the crowd off for a loop because I didn't recognize her at first. So. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want somebody that comes to the ring, you want a big pop noise, you know, that, oh, my gosh, it's them. Didn't yeah. happen here. Nothing against Gonzalez because it just needs time to get her on television, get familiar with fans. So, obviously, it was a solid match. Definitely enjoyed it. Definitely yeah. enjoyed the storytelling that Knox was trying to be conflicted about hurting her best friend. 
but went full tilt mm-hmm. in some of those shots. The only thing that got very scary, too, is they did not break the tables when they're getting no. thrown through them. No. That is just absolutely painful to watch mm-hmm. for anybody, male or female wrestler. So that being said, the next match of the night, Pad, what was your thoughts on this? Johnny Gargano versus Finn Balor. This might have been like the... I don't want to say worst match of the night because it wasn't a bad match, but if I'm ranking them from, you know, worst to best, this might be at the bottom. And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a bad match. There was nothing wrong with it. I have no complaints about it. Just if I'm, you know, ranking them favorite, the least favorite to favorite, this one might fall towards the bottom. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I honestly thought this was going to be match of the night. And I don't know if it was just so amped up. From the previous two ones, yeah, that this one just kind of came in, and this was my adrenaline dump match. Like I, it, like, it absolutely was an adrenaline dump match because the match, uh, according to ProFightDB.com, uh, the match lasted twenty-seven minutes and twenty-two seconds. And I do remember a lot of that was kind of like rest holds and slow stuff. Like, all right, we're we're letting the crowd come down off of this because we can't have them amped up and excited for you know three hours, you know, but. You know, I love both of these guys. Both of these guys are great. I'm a huge Finn Balor guy. You know, I think part of what the issue was with this match and why I think a lot of people might rank it towards the bottom of their rankings was I think a lot of hype got made up about this match between the two fighters, especially they had that, you know, split screen interview with the two. And, mm-hmm. and, he, and he goes, oh, you know, Finn's like, oh, I'm going to beat you, to, yeah, you know, whatever. And, and Johnny goes, that's that's a Finn Balor. Like, I think they were building it up to like to the point where I'm like, or, you know, he's talking about demons and this and that. I'm like, are we going to see the demon for this? Yeah, Finn Balor does cause wrestle, mm-hmm. if that's such a thing, um, to describe it. Uh, he usually comes out in, like, body paint as a character. Mm-hmm. I mean, his days in New Japan pro wrestling, he was always coming out as awesome characters. And he has the demon persona that he does in WWE. And this one, you weren't sure what we were going to see out of him. And this, since he's been back in NXT, has been tearing it up. Mm-hmm. He's finally turned heel, which yeah. has been long overdue. And for Johnny Gargano, he's always been the quintessential good guy mm-hmm. of NXT. It's just this match. Happy-go-lucky while simultaneously getting his head beaten in. Yeah, but he's Mr. Takeover, too. Like, he never has a bad takeover match. And, like, I can't stress enough, it wasn't a bad match. I just think at this stage, no. the previous two matches just really had everybody so amped up mm-hmm. that when this came out... It, it just was the adrenaline dump moment that was like, okay, it's good, and I'm into it, but I'm not as into it as I think I would have been, which is very rare to say. But like I say, it was still a great match. Yeah. But I think it was probably my less, less favorite one on the card. I don't mm-hmm. know why, but it just was. Yeah. So that being said, we had our first title defense of the night. Well, second title defense of the night. Uh, Keith Lee defended his title oh, right. of the NXT North American Championship. So this is the second. I always forget they have the North American title. Yep. Uh, so this was for the NXT Women's uh, Championship between Rhea Ripley, who was the title holder, and uh, Bianca Belair, uh, the EST of NXT, as she likes to call herself, where Rhea Ripley retained and defeated uh, Bianca Belair by a, by a pinfall. Yeah, this definitely was a great match. Belair. Yeah has definitely stepped her game up when it comes to takeovers. I know there was that whole Sam Roberts nonsense that, oh, well, Belair doesn't belong on a pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, Sam Roberts needs to just shut up about Sam that. Sam Roberts just needs to watch the women's Royal Rumble. Yeah. Belair can hang with anybody. She's that good. Arguably the best athlete on the entire WWE roster. She's up there, yeah. Oh, You can have that debate. So to see her get the spotlight and obviously get her second shot at the title, uh, was definitely a cool thing to see. Ripley is on top of her game right now. It could not be more on top of the NXT world. Mm-hmm. And then we finally had, after 
She had defeated Belair. Charlotte Flair runs in the ring and confirms what we have been talking about for a long time. Mm-hmm. After attacking Ripley, sign sealed delivered WrestleMania 36. Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. It should be absolute fire. So, oh, I'm so on board with this. I was dreading when Charlotte won the Royal Rumble that we were going to get. I think there were a lot of people. Well, yeah, because it just doesn't make sense. We were going to see her against Becky Lynch again, and we've already seen that. And then see her against Bailey, which, I mean, you do have Bailey as a heel now. Right, but, like, you can go through the entire roster and, like, you know, Randy Orton versus Sheamus comes to mind. How many times have we seen Randy Orton versus Sheamus? Do we really need to see Randy Orton versus Sheamus again? Yeah. No. You, the same can be said for, you know, Charlotte versus any of her other four horse women counterparts. We've seen her versus Sasha more times than I have fingers on my two hands. Mm-hmm. And the same can be said for Becky and, and Bailey. Okay, yeah, Bailey's a heel, but Charlotte's face her as a heel. Like, you know, and Charlotte faced uh, Becky just last year. And Sasha, who knows what Sasha's deal is, you know, she hasn't, we haven't seen her in a couple weeks, but, you know, it just feels like a wash, rinse, repeat scenario if you put her against Becky, Bailey, or Sasha. You know, I think that's something you hold off for. I think that's something you maybe put on the back burner. I'd say at this point, it'll have been a year by the time uh, WrestleMania rolls around. I say you put it on hold for at least another year. Like really let it simmer down and and really let it kind of die down because I feel like if at any point after WrestleMania this year you do Charlotte versus any of those women you know Becky Bailey or Sasha you're gonna get a lot of folks myself including going oh my god we have to see this again yeah no I'm with you on that it's just you have to switch it up after so long and they've been the top tier of the women's division for in, like five years. Yeah. Which I mean, nothing against them. They are that good. Yeah, they no, deserve they are, to be they, up and there. And they are legitimately some of the best on the, on the roster. Yeah. You just get to such a stage where it's like you have such a talented roster on NXT and arguably it is the most talented women's division in all of pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. This is a debate we have with rich on the wrestling show all the time. And you know what? I I'm hard pressed to argue with them that why not mix and match with the talent you have up there? Rhea Ripley's on top of her game right now. Shayna Baszler is probably the best wrestler that isn't officially on Raw right now that's in the WWE system. Why not have her step up and fight Becky Lynch, which they're yeah. leaning to do finally, yeah. albeit how they introed her was a whole other story, but mm-hmm. I digress. You have talent down there that is willing to come up and really make a statement. So this one, I'm excited to see what Ripley's going to do at Mania. In fact, I'm even going to go on a bold prediction. She retains. Okay. I'll go. I'll say that right now. That'd be something to beat a flare at WrestleMania. I know. It's going to be crazy. Got, that's got to be a short list. It, it'll be, yeah. It'll be. If a, somebody knows that or has the time to look that up, tweet us at OD Parlay Hour. Yeah, definitely. I definitely want to have that conversation because I know, well, Rick has been on some WrestleManias. Yet. I don't know his track record, but right. Charlotte's near unbeatable at WrestleMania. I know she lost to Becky last year in that three, right, but right. That's, a, that's different apples and oranges right there. So going on to another title defense. Mm-hmm. You had the Broserweights, uh, who were the winners of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, uh, take on the NXT Tag Team Champions in Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly of the Undisputed Era, where, surprisingly, uh, you had the Broserweights uh, defeat the Undisputed Era. Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne are now NXT Tag Team Champions. Didn't see this one coming. Neither did I. Did not see this one coming at all. I mean, when the Dusty Rhodes Classic gets announced, you'll see two singles wrestlers get paired in a tag team. Mm-hmm. It always happens. I mean, we had, what, Finn Balor and Samoa Joe the one year. Yep. And they usually kind of mix and match it with different competitors along with the tag teams. Except this year, 
I will say the influx from NXT UK mm. with the grizzled young veterans and Imperium yeah. Yeah. really added something to that that tournament this year. Mm-hmm. In fact, I thought the grizzled young vets were going to win the thing. But it turned out to be the unlikely pairing of super serious Pete Dunne and, well, bro, Matt Riddle. Bro. And to see the comedic interaction between those two. If WWE isn't selling the shirt that Matt Riddle and, and Pete Dunne were wearing last night, I'm going to be very disappointed. I'm going to look it up now. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Vinny, who was actually tweeting me about this. Uh, and just honestly, how to describe that shirt. It's amazing. It, it's amazing. It's epic. It's everything that is Matt Riddle and then some. And it just goes along of how much fish could Bobby Fish fry if Bobby Fish could fry fish. It's just that's Matt Riddle for a letter, and obviously they have. Oh my God, they're selling it! Oh, they are. Uh huh. It's available on uh, the WWE's shop site. Yeah, this was an incredible match. It reads as quote: uh, "How much fish could Bobby Fish fry if Bobby Fish could fry fish?" That thing's gonna sell thousands. Uh huh. It's gonna be ridiculous. But for the match itself, it was absolutely what it was built to be. Yeah. The Undisputed Era has been champs for so long. They are the best tag team in NXT. Kyle O'Reilly coming out doing air guitar with the title belt is why he should be a champion 24-7. If he has to be the 24-7 champion to make this happen, I'm all right with this. And just a very back-and-forth match and definitely was a surprise ending with Dunn pulling the win off. Yeah. And I did not see this happen. No, I mean, because oftentimes you see, like you said, these two singles wrestlers paired together, and it works out maybe for a round or two or for a couple matches, but then it ultimately falls apart because you have two folks who haven't really interacted together and don't really know anything about each other, and it falls apart. You know, the obviously one exception can be made is the bar with Cesaro and Sheamus, you know, a couple of years ago when they got paired together and how well they ran together. But I'm, I'm interested to see where they can go with this. I mean, Pete Dunn, you really don't need to do any booking for him. Like he's already self-booked with, you know, his his reign with the, uh, the NXT, UK, NXT UK championship and just how hard hitting he can be. Matt Riddle, I think it's a, it's a very interesting pairing to put him with, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I think it's two very different personalities that, on paper, you look at it go, that really shouldn't work together, but at least for one night it is. Riddle can work with so many different people. I know he has great interaction with Keith Lee. and He has great interactions with Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Those are always Twitter gold. Mm-hmm. And then like Goldberg as well. And then possibly Jeff Cobb, too, which I know that that's going to be a story that we're going to be talking about on the wrestling show on the 3FN Network. Because uh, Jeff Cobb is still kind still of, a free agent, still a free agent, as he says, and I think if WWE could pull him off, Jeff Cobb versus Keith Lee. Oh my God, take my money now! Mm-hmm. Take my money now! Iron Man match, thirty minutes. Riddle, Iron Man match, hour. <sighs> Whatever, you just take my money. I'll, I'm I'm there first night. I'm there opening day. But for this match, though, like I say, sky's the limit where they're going to go with the yeah. tag team division. I have a – well, I was going to have a sinking suspicion the Undisputed Era was going to get a call-up. I think they will, but not until after Mania. But, no, because obviously going into the main event, which is your champion, Adam Cole. Baby. Against the returning Chamaso Ciampa. Who's looking for Goldie. Who's looking. The storyline has been built. Ciampa had to relinquish the belt due to a very, very bad neck injury. Almost career-ending Almost career-ending. And to see him come back in the shape he is, it was truly remarkable. They've set up the storyline perfect. Yeah. That he has now gone out of his way to really let Adam Cole know that his time is running. And the back and forth with with this is just how you want to see the fight get built. Mm-hmm. Started a little slow, but they really got going, really got their timing down. You've seen a lot of innovative offense. 
Albeit, though, a lot of craziness outside of the ring. Yeah. I think the one power bomb onto the table I thought came down right on Tommaso's neck. Yeah. Uh, replay showed it was his shoulder blade area, so ooh, lucky. Yeah, lucky. But it was damn near scary. Mm-hmm. And just seeing you know the different Panama surprises that were getting thrown and then you know, like just the different stuff that you were seeing in the matches too, it was absolutely crazy. Just to see mm-hmm. that Champa was coming back and obviously looking in great condition because this was yeah. going to be a real test for him. Yeah, Adam Cole doing everything that Adam Cole does. I'll best. Say they were both throwing their finishers and signature moves like nine times. Yeah, you saw so many last shots. I think I think Cole hit like four Panama Sunrises. Yeah, like it was some. It was like just really crazy with it, just how they were bouncing back with the air raid crash and the Panama surprise. Yeah, like they were just kept going back. And then when you thought that Ciampa was going to get the win, everybody in that crowd went nuts. Like they were fully locked into a match. And this is the beauty of pro wrestling. Their storytelling had everybody hooked, mm-hmm. and everybody was on the edge of their seat. I mean, we had the watch party with Jimmy from Floodlands, and he does not watch that much NXT, but he was on the edge of his seat. Yeah. Like, what is going on? Like, just yeah. freaking out. And then when we finally get to the end of the match, the Undisputed Era comes in, causes interference on the ref after Ciampa has the match locked up. Uh, and, you know, Ciampa is successfully fending them off before the ref gets knocked out, and then the ref gets knocked out. Yeah. But by the time it's all said and done, Johnny Gargano comes out, tag wearing team a, partner. Wearing a DIY T-shirt, if I remember right? Yes, wearing the DIY new T-shirt. And he it takes the belt from Ciampa. Ciampa's looking at him going, what are you doing? And Gargano hits him with the belt, mm-hmm. leaving him in for Adam Cole to make the pin. So now we end with the start of Gargano, Ciampa again, question mark. Part four. I guess this is the only way I see this one playing out. Yeah. I don't think this is going to be a long feud. No. It, it can't be. No. If, if you go through what makes NXT great, Ciampa Gargano was fight forever before it took the belt from Steen and Owens. Gargano and Zane, rather. Gargano Ciampa was like must-see TV because just the way it was written yeah. and the way it was presented, even for, I would say, for seasoned vets who have watched wrestling for decades – had you guessing. Yeah, it definitely had you guessing. And what I think they're doing now at Mania, and I'm, I'm fully convinced of this, is you're going to have the NXT title defended at WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. And I think what you're going to have is a three-way for the belt. Wasn't that planned last year, but then Ciampa got hurt? I think it was heavily rumored. We weren't sure, but now it's set in stone, in my opinion. Right. You're going to have Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole. Baby. Can you imagine if that opens WrestleMania? If that opens, that card had better stand up and deliver because that'll steal the show. Uh-huh. That will steal the show. I but would they do it against NXT Takeover? I mean, there's so many possibilities that we don't know yet. Like I say, I had just have a feeling if the women's title is gonna get defended on WrestleMania, I'm not doubting the men's, and that is your match to make. I would say this. I would I think the NXT championship is gonna get defended on uh, in WrestleMania. Because I think for the folks that might be a little hesitant to watch NXT because, oh, I don't know these guys. These guys aren't really guys I know. I you know I watch AEW because I know those guys or whatever the reason is. This is an opportunity because WrestleMania, you know, probably, if not, is their most watched pay-per-view every year. Mm. This is going to get the folk, the casuals who have cable and don't really watch it because, hey, I'm casual. I just watch it a couple times a year. Or the folks that might not watch NXT because, that's eh, just really not my cup of tea. Put on this fire match that it's going to be, you know, nine stars from Dave Meltzer 
whatever it ends up being, mm. you know, match of the year, match of the night, whatever, and really open up the eyes to the folks that for whatever reason or one reason or another haven't watched NXT yet and go, this is what you're missing. It's going to be a fun night, definitely. WrestleMania weekend is going to be absolutely off the chains. And this card, though, definitely delivered. I mean, I, between this and the Worlds Collide, NXT has been dominating mm-hmm. the pay-per-view game. I know we're two months in, but they've had two of the best cards of the year. Yeah, I know AEW Revolution is coming up. They have very tall shoes to fill. Yeah, Can they do it is anybody's guess. But even so, the main roster has Elimination Chamber coming up. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to top this. That's going to be hard, if it, not impossible. It's going to be tough to call, but you're going to definitely have to stay tuned and see because, man, like I said, I could just ramble on about this, just how good this card was. But I definitely want to have that conversation with you. So hit us up on our social media accounts, and remember, use the hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts on NXT TakeOver Portland? Was it the card of the year, or do you think there's still some time to go? I mean, what could top this? I definitely want to have the interaction. And what do you think is going to be the NXT men's title at WrestleMania match? Try saying that three times fast. And also remember to check out me over on the Three Fat Nerds, that wrestling show, which is going to be coming out this week. And we're also doing for the month of February, sharing it on the ODPH network. So if you want to find out everything that's going on there, head over to 8122productions.com. You can download it early or we'll have it up this Friday on the ODPH network. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Tyler from Second Suitor, and you're listening to the ODPH podcast. I want you to get it. I want you to understand I'm doing the best I can But not as good as I want to be I just want to get it I just want to comprehend That I have to make amends Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what's up with that local minute? Oh, local minute, of course. We're talking some Binghamton Devils hockey news. Looking at their games from uh, this past week, they lost their game on uh, the 12th up going against the Syracuse Crunch by the final score of one to nothing. Uh, Friday, uh, they came home on Valentine's Day and played the Hershey Bears, the first place Hershey Bears. Uh, I was in attendance with that game with my girlfriend uh, for a little Valentine's Day fun. Uh, of course, Hershey Bear first place. Hershey Bears first place in the Atlantic Division. Thirty-two wins, uh, sixteen losses, uh, with three overtime losses and three shootout losses. No slouches. Uh, great game, hard-fought game from uh, your Binghamton Devils. Uh, it was two-one Hershey after the first period. Then it, uh, it was three to two after the second period. So definitely fighting back, keeping it in it. A little some questionable calls from uh, the referee. But of course, that's hockey for you. Yeah, that's sports. It, yeah, that's sports for you. And then uh, Binghamton ended up tying the game up at 17 minutes and 42 seconds into the third period. So very late in the game, I think it was like two and a half minutes left or something like that. Uh, tied the game up and forced it into overtime, which it was like the fourth or fifth time I've been to a Devils game this year, and it's gone to overtime. And I got to say. AHL overtime is the most nerve-wracking thing on the planet because it, after the period is over, you get 60 seconds. They don't even, you know, wet the ice down or clean the ice up in between periods like you're used to. They get 60 seconds, and then it's three-on-three three hockey for five minutes. It is a wild ride. It's the beauty of hockey, though, because mm-hmm. anytime it goes to overtime, it's always nerve-wracking. Yeah. I, I don't – even with the shootouts, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of the shootouts, but – Anytime you get playoff, like a playoff feel to hockey, mm-hmm. and that's what overtime does feel like. So. Yeah, 
Uh, and then thir- overtime didn't last long. Binghamton scored uh, the winning goal 30 seconds into overtime to get the win. Uh, so, so they won their game uh that day, four to three in overtime. Uh, then they traveled down to Hershey the next night and won by the final score of four to two. Uh, and they actually just finished a game as we record. They went up to Toronto and played the Toronto Marlies, where they won by the final score of five to two. So they got themselves a nice little three-game winning streak going on. Uh, looking at their schedule for this, uh, the rest of this coming week, they've got another game in Toronto on Wednesday. Uh, interestingly enough, this one is at eleven in the morning. Uh, then they've got a home game. They return home on Friday, February 21st to play the Charlotte Checkers. Game time, 7.05 p.m. Uh, should note for any college students listening, it is $10 college student ticket night. Ooh, uh, yeah. can't be that. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, on Saturday, February 22nd, they remain home and play the Charlotte Checkers again. Uh, game time, 7.05. And should note, uh, this game is being billed as the Miracle 40th anniversary game. Of course, uh, referring to the Miracle on Ice, uh, where the U.S. Uh, men's hockey team defeated the Soviets in the Olympics. Yeah. Wow, it's been that long? Yeah. 40, 40 years, and they're going to have special jerseys for the night. Always one of my favorite movies, too. That Great movie. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, of course, more information, BinghamtonDevils.com. Now, since Coach isn't here, I'm going to be the one talking some Binghamton Bulldogs. Ooh, okay. And they have bounced back on the winning track. Huge game on the road against the Rock City Ravens. The Dogs wound up pulling the W out 131-121. to 121. Mm-hmm. And according to their Facebook page, it was a huge game from Derek Hart and huge second-half performances from Chris Cartwright and Ralph Williams. So Hart wound up being the lead scorer for the Bulldogs, 36 points. Cartwright had 27. Williams had 19. And Binghamton scored 75 second-half points Wow! to come back. It's good to see them bounce back That's after impressive. that Syracuse massacre they had. <laughs> so only way to put it lightly. I'm, yeah. I'm not showing any favoritism. That game was just straight-up massacre. So it's good to see the Bulldogs get back on the winning track and definitely make that run into the Elite Eight tourney that's happening. So the Bulldogs are currently ranked number 12 with a record of 12-4, and four according to the ABA rankings. Mm-hmm. Wyoming Valley is still 16-0 and 0 at number one, and Syracuse is still 15-2, and two, and they are in the top five there at number five. So this weekend is a home game now for the Bulldogs. This was originally supposed to be played in Oneana, but the game was shifted to Binghamton. So Saturday night... At St. Pat's Gym locally, it is going to be the Bulldogs hosting the Oneana Octane, and they are asking fans to wear white as they want to go for a whiteout. This is the revenge game against the Octane, who pulled off the upset early in the year. So there's going to be a lot of hype going on for this. More information, facebook.com slash Binghamton Bulldogs, because you get the most updated information on there. They're very active on there. Or just go to BinghamtonBulldogs.com. Either place is a good stop, place mm-hmm. to shop. And we have to say... Happy birthday wishes to friend of the show and our favorite wrestling promoter, Johnny Moose. Ah, So Johnny is having a birthday this week. He's a longtime listener and friend of the show. Shout out to him. Yeah. ExciteWrestling.com. And, in fact, what would make his birthday if you bought a ticket to go to the X for this March 7th show. So all that information is on ExciteWrestling.com. So when you stop by, leave a message for him, happy birthday, and you can tell him you heard it on the ODPH. So let us round those bases, shall we, Pat? Sure. Uh, I'll start off, and for once, I won't be talking baseball. What? Uh, all I'll say, baseball has started. Pitchers have reported. Position players have reported, which means if you're not a baseball fan, we're one step closer to spring and one step closer to summer, so warmer weather. Uh, no, I'm going to be talking of some women, college women's basketball. Okay. Uh, because we have some potential history 
staring us in the face and bearing down on us as we sit here recording. Uh, if you are not familiar, there is a woman uh, by the name of Sabrina Ionescu, uh, who is a senior guard at the University of Oregon. Uh, she's from Walnut Creek, California. Uh, she just this past weekend became the second ever men's or women's division one player to uh, accumulate over 2000 points scored and 1000 assists. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she is currently sitting at 980 total rebounds. Wow. And, if, and if she keeps at her current pace at some point, I want to say it's either by the end of this week or early part next week, she will accumulate 1000 rebounds and will become the first ever player men's or women's division one to score 2000 points, uh, accumulate 1000 assists and get 1000 rebounds. Incredible. That's awesome. Which you think of some of the players who have come through the collegiate ranks. Yeah. Michael Jordan, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Derek Rose, like the list goes on, you know, Candace Parker, you know, and just some of the names of the folks who have men and women who have come through the collegiate ranks. None of them have ever done this. This is incredible, especially because nowadays you have the one and done. Mm-hmm. But to stay for four years and, and do the record and just how yeah. how that's happening, kudos to her. Yeah, no, I, I saw this on Sports Center the other morning. I couldn't believe it. No, that's amazing. It's insane. So hopefully she pulls that record off. Yeah. That would be awesome yeah. to see. So for my bases, uh, I guess i got to do a couple double duties since Coach is not here. So let me start off with some late-breaking MMA news. Okay. It's being reported by ESPN staff writer Mark Ramadi that one championship is doing something with their King of the Jungle fight card February 28th in Singapore. Okay. They are not allowing fans to attend. Holy cow. What? They are not allowing fans to come in because they are fearful of the coronavirus that is currently infecting the world, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. That, you know what? That makes sense. Yeah. So they're just saying that because it's been widespread across Asia and China and over in the Far East. The world. The world, like I say, they're just being very careful. So what they are doing is they have announced that they will have the fight happen in an empty arena. And if you have bought a ticket for said event, you will be refunded your money in full. And it will still be broadcasted. So this is going to be a very weird fight experience. I, I applaud them for this. You know, you definitely don't want to put your fans or the public in any sort of risk. And given how widespread the coronavirus is going on right now and how many people are infected and, you know, unfortunately, how many people have passed from contracting the virus. I don't I don't think anyone in that organization from, you know, the head of the organization down to, you know, the mail, the mail carrier, you know, the guy in the mail room. I don't think anyone wants it on their conscience that they might have contributed to this disease, this horrible disease in this horrible situation. So I, I applaud them for taking this step in, in, you know, preventing the fans from coming there and trying to do their little bit of trying to prevent the disease from spreading further. I will say this. I'm not one to normally watch one championship, but I might have to find it and watch for five minutes just because outside of, you know, soccer matches overseas, I can't think of another instance where there has been an empty stadium or arena for a sporting event. And I've never had the chance to see it. And it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, I applaud them. that They're doing this because according to the article that uh, Ramadi has written, uh, it's saying that there are 77 confirmed cases of the coronavirus right. as of today, and 53 people are still in the hospital that have been diagnosed with it. Right, and that's probably, and that, I'm guessing that's just in that area where they're going to hold the fight. Yeah, that's why. So, okay, that's just in that area. That's not factoring anyone who might be traveling in from other places around the country, around the world, and what have you. So th- that makes sense. Yeah, worldwide, according to the article, there's 70,000 cases right. with 1,700 deaths. 
So they're doing everything they can in precautions. And obviously, if they've had 77 cases in Singapore, that they're trying to be as cautious as they can right. for everybody involved. Right. So we're just saying just everybody, please be as healthy as possible and take extra precautions. This is no joke. And one is going to be one to watch. I mean, not yeah. no pun intended by it, but it's just a, it's going to be a, possibly a once in a lifetime viewing event. Yeah, it's, it's just weird to see an empty arena that's going to have a fight card going on. So yeah. uh, we'll have to wait and see about that. Flipping the corner to some XFL action. Nothing really to report except uh, some very interesting quarterback comments, mm-hmm. to say the least. And you can just search. Uh, Matt McGloin's Matt McGloin Matt McGloin's from from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Interestingly, yeah, who, uh, Penn State alumnus who had a lot to say about his team, and you can go through the searches on social media. Uh not the best look for the XFL in the second week. No, I understand that they're really pushing the sideline interviewing and such, but you do have players that are playing with emotion. Yeah, and probably yeah. not the best place to just vent the frustration. Yeah, they're having. yeah. I mean, you got a quarter. If you go to a quarterback who just threw his, let's just say, third interception, whatever the situation is, they're going to be a little peeved, a little, a little pissed off. So I don't, I, you know, they might say some things that they regret, say some things they don't mean in the heat of the moment. You know, so going up to a quarterback, you know, Joe Schmo, you know, whoever, and saying, oh, what was going through your mind before you threw that pass? Did you or whatever they're going to ask? Like, probably not. I get the understanding and I applaud trying to be creative and be different from the NFL. But I feel like you should pick and choose your moments. Yeah, this one was definitely not a good one. And obviously the XFL is trying to be different with all that sideline interviewing. Not the best look for an organization that's still trying to get their feet planted. Yeah. Because there's just moments. Also, not a good look, you know, if you're a fan of you know the team and you're really trying to get invested, and you're really trying to get amped up for it, and your quarterback comes out and goes, "We don't know what the hell, you know, what the bleep we're doing. We got to change our entire offensive game plan." Yeah, when you bury your team on national television, it's not. My advice is always go the Greg Popovich route. One word answers. Yep. It's also comedy gold. Yeah, or go Marshawn Lynch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's all you need to or, say. Or, or the Bill Belichick method. Yeah, because you can go through the the whole articles if you want, if you just decide to search on social media. Other than that, I mean, the XFL really didn't have anything going on that caught me noteworthy yeah. this weekend. So I'm just going to kind of skip over that because, like I said, that was the only headline that came out. And if that's your only headline. Ooh, not a bad week. It's 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 a bad look for some aspects, but I guess no news, or news isn't good news. You know, yeah. Wherever you want to find it. But I want to close out the show talking some boxing. Okay. Because this weekend, the rematch of rematches is happening. And no, it's not Canelo and Triple G, because that's already been decided. Triple G won those two fights. You can't, well, tell, me, you can't tell me otherwise. Mayweather Pacquiao, too. No. Mayweather McGregor, too. No. Well, then I don't give a shit. Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury. Oh, yeah. So Saturday night, February 22nd, 9 p.m., only on pay-per-view, and that's in the Eastern Standard Time Zone. These two are going to have the rematch of rematches. So this is where things are going to get very, very interesting. The first time they fought, it was a draw. Uh, At my scorecard, I had Wilder winning, and you saw him knock out Fury, and Fury wound up doing the Undertaker sit-up miraculously to come back in that fight. Yeah, Wilder 42-0 with 41 knockouts. That is not a typo. The Bronze Bomber is no joke. Tyson Fury, 29-0-1 with 20 knockouts. So something's got to give here. Mm-hmm. And Anthony or Anthony Joshua is waiting in the wings, 23-1, and 
21 KOs in his record with his big loss coming to the underdog of all underdogs, Andy Ruiz, Yeah, uh, who is still going to be a name in that division too. So for me, if I got to make my unofficial ODPH prediction, uh, Bronze Bomber is taking this one. Okay. Wilder is going to finish the job. I like Fury. Don't get me wrong. I definitely like Tyson Fury. He's a character. He's been on WWE. He is a larger-than-life personality. But Wilder is a different cat. And Wilder has that one punch. He doesn't have to be the flashiest guy. He just has to go in there and connect at the right moment. Well, and also uh, Wilder has been, you know, laser focused on this fight for quite some time. Whereas, like you said, you know, the uh, Tyson Fury, he's been on WWE. He's been on, on all this other stuff. You know, he was just at the Vegas Golden Knights game the other night. His, his attention's been a little uh, all over the place. Yeah. So Wilder is going to come in there and I think he's going to impose as well. I'm not saying it's going to be a first round knockout. Hell no. I think this one could go the distance, but I think that this one is going to get ended, I'm going to say, 10th round. And I think Fury is going to be on the losing end of a right that is going to just send shivers down your spine. Wilder will eventually fight Joshua and run through him too. Joshua does not scare me in any way, shape, or form as a fighter. Uh, I'm just sorry. I'm just I'm not impressed with his skills, and I know he has a big re- – you know he has the look of it, but I just don't see it. And like I said, the Ruiz knockout, I think, showed out a lot that there's holes in his game. There's just a lot to be desired from Joshua. If he really wants to step up, he's got to really show me something. I think, though, for boxing fans, you want to see Wilder face Joshua. And like I said, Wilder is just no joke. He is going to knock somebody out and just say, go through his track record. He goes and tears apart opponents. He is just one mission, and that is to just knock everybody out and leave them down. Mm-hmm. So that being said, that's going to be going on Saturday night. Definitely join in that conversation on social media and hit us up on OD Parlay Hour on Twitter because I'm going to be tweeting as much as I can during the fight. I'm going to see what I can do. i got some other stuff going on, so I definitely want to try catching that fight this weekend. So that being said, the music you heard on this episode is that of Fair City Fire. There are friends from Austin, Texas. They just got done playing a big Valentine's Day gig down in Austin, Texas. So if you want to find out about them, you head on over to OchoDuroParleyHour.com slash music. Check out their social media links. Check out their band camp. Go support them in any way, shape you can, along with the fellow bands that are on that page, which you have Shout Out the Robots, who's playing a big show this Saturday night at Galaxy Brewing. You have Floodlands, who has just announced a bunch of tour dates coming up in April. And they have a big show coming with First Jason coming back to town in May at Galaxy. You also have Honker, Walking Distance, you have so much great music. Second Suitor is on there as well, who is currently on tour with Tom Jolu. Like I said, they tore it up in the 607 on Friday night. They're heading down south now to Georgia and Florida. So they're definitely going to make some moves. So if you're down there, go to ochodoropaliar.com slash music. Check out Second Suitor. Check out if they're going to be playing at your town and definitely make plans to attend. Also on ochodoropaliar.com, you can check out Parlay Points, the commentary blogs to the ODPH podcast and the ODPH directory, which has links to Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, Excite Wrestling, Photography by Mike Blakesley, Three Fat Nerds, shout out to Rich, Ron, and hashtag Big Nighty Cool Diesel. You can also check out Horizon 607. The links are on there as well. You can go to 8122productions.com, check out their Patreon, which, Pad, More Love is Scary is coming out. Oh, Lord. So I have to pitch an idea for Patreon, though. I want Ron behind the paywall talking about John Wick. Christ. I am throwing that out there. How about how about uh, behind the wall talking about the room? Uh, if you have ever heard 
Ron's review of John Wick and his passionate feelings about that movie, that needs to be behind a paywall. Maybe we could get Ron to do some Patreon behind there. That would be something. I would like to see his review of The Room. He is an avid moviegoer, so he will definitely have some reviews about that. But right now is John Wick and what else he's got in mind, too. You'll have to just check out Three Fat Nerds and see what he's talking about. But you can also head over to A122Productions.com. Find out about everything they have going on on their Patreon, including Love is Scary, the hottest show on Patreon that I can't talk about. So much going on on the ODPH website. Shout out to hashtag 607 Podcast. Shout out to hashtag Pod Nation. And shout out to hashtag Next Wave. Because that's all we got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you. And John Calipari, still coaching Kentucky. For your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Wishing Charlie Weiss was coaching Notre Dame. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 